Will God accept me? I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I do fear him. I believe God can help me. The pastor seems to think that I'm just too ignorant. But what does Jesus really think? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or to pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 f.m. If you missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you'll find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com, that's our central hub, and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, that is spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure that when you go to those pages, you like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You will find us in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square, so we would like to see you there. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Today, we're going to be talking about another person who had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Sometimes, you know, we can think of certain stories perhaps of maybe where somebody has encountered Christ and their life has been changed, but there's there's I guess a lot of times we can see where the people that gave their lives to Christ, it's it's kind of surprising almost. And I think that what we're going to be looking at today, if we were to get into the setting of the people there in the times of Christ when he was on earth, uh, this man would have been some kind of a surprising character to have had faith in Christ. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, and Luke 7, 1 through 10. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, after he had finished, that's Jesus, after Jesus finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus said to them, I will come and heal him. And he went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to the another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, 
Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So that's quite an account. So let's just get into the setting a little bit because this will help us to see just a little bit more of why this is so miraculous. And so the setting here is that Jesus had just preached the Sermon on the Mount and he comes to Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum was a famous uh, fishing village, but also Capernaum uh, was somewhere that Jesus frequented. That's where Simon Peter lived. He lived in Capernaum. And it's also, I can't remember how many weeks back this was. It may have been last week, but um, it's the same place where Jairus had, his daughter was sick unto death and he healed Jairus, uh, Jairus' daughter rather. This was in Capernaum. And in biblical times, Capernaum was one of the main trading villages in the Gennesaret area. And it is said that it was a, a vibrant, a, a prosperous part of Palestine, home to about 1,500 people. And many of those people were fishermen. Many travelers, caravans, and traders passed through Capernaum uh, on the Via Maris. It was a main trade route that connected Damascus in the north and Egypt in the south. So it was situated in such a spot where it had a lot of traffic, even though in our standards, maybe 1,500 people doesn't seem like a lot. In biblical standards, it was a pretty important place because of its industry and because of its location. And there is this situation where there's this centurion. Now, the centurions would have been um, under the Roman army, but from what I've gathered, there shouldn't have been centurions uh, directly from the Roman army there because there was no Roman occupation in Galilee at that time. But Herod Antipas, I believe, uh, would have hired perhaps some centurions from the Roman army to come and they kind of just plopped themselves in these cities employed under Herod Antipas. And uh, so that's kind of the setting that we have right now. And we're going to learn a little bit about the centurions in a minute that kind of gives us a better understanding of why this was so amazing. But here is Jesus. He finishes preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he is going into Capernaum. No doubt he's probably going to where Peter, um, where his house was. Jesus needed a place to rest, kind of relax, get away from the crowds. He didn't have a place, any place to lay his head, he said, remember? The foxes, the holes have dens and I don't have anywhere to lay my head. But the centurion um, at this point, was made aware of Jesus, and we'll find out Jesus was made aware of the centurion. So the centurion um, had a servant, and the servant was very sick. In fact, the servant was paralyzed, and the servant was under much suffering, right to the point of death, the scripture tells us. And the centurion he really loved his his servant. He was a very valuable servant to him. And he wanted that this man would be healed. Why would he be coming to Jesus? Well, no doubt the centurion heard about Jesus. No doubt, you know, where Jesus had said when Jairus' daughter was risen from the dead, he said, don't go, you know, spilling this out around here. Just keep it to yourselves. Just give her something to eat and all that kind of, but well, they couldn't do that. They couldn't keep it to themselves. And nor could the professional mourners and things that were there at that time before Jesus kicked them out. They knew she was dead. And he said, leave the room. She's just asleep. They laugh at him. And then she rises up and is walking around. They knew it too. So no doubt 
it had been no small stir in Capernaum. And you know how news travels. It went farther than Capernaum. It went farther, you know, beyond Galilee and just all over the place. People had heard about Jesus. Well, so no doubt this centurion man, he heard about what had happened there. He heard about the fame of Jesus probably in many different areas. And now he hears, you know that Jesus, he's in town again. The whispers start coming towards this man, the centurion. Jesus is in town again. And hope starts to rise up in the centurion's heart. I mean, wouldn't that wouldn't that happen to you? If you had heard about somebody that was going around and wherever they went, miraculous things had taken place, healings had happened, and maybe you're sick or maybe even you've got uh, loved ones or somebody that's sick and you would want to... Um, you know, you want to be better. You want your loved ones to be better. And then you hear perhaps, you know, this person's not around, or, you know, it happened a little while back, but now all of a sudden he's back. He's in the town again. That would probably make some hopes turn your heart. That would probably make you get up and you'd think, well, I, I need to go find this person. You know, we need his assistance. If, if he did that before, then he can probably do it again right now. No doubt that's what the centurion is thinking. But the centurion, what he did, as we're told in the scripture, is that he talked to some Jewish elders uh, to go to Jesus. And this is very different. This whole circumstance is so different than the way the Jews normally felt about the Romans. Uh, The Jews were waiting for their political revolutionary Messiah to come in to free them from the Roman oppression. So they didn't think too kindly about the Romans And yet here we see this Roman soldier, no less, seeming to be somewhat friendly with these Jews. And he's talking to some uh, Jewish elders and he says, can you go get Jesus' attention? Uh, I want want my, my servant to be healed. So the Jewish elders gladly go do it. We don't hear of any protests in the scriptures whatsoever, but they gladly go do it. Not only do they gladly go do it, but it says that the Jewish elders pled with Jesus earnestly to come heal the centurion's servant. That's quite a statement. So already this centurion seems like a a fairly remarkable man, um, you know, with, with the Jewish people around and even just his reaching out to Jesus. There's something different about this man. And, you know, there's really something different about anybody that reaches out to Jesus. Anybody that that takes the time to seek him out. Because, you know, so often, you know, Jesus is speaking in these days and he's speaking to everybody, anybody who will listen. But the problem is, is that we so turn our back on him or we're so distracted with the things of this world or maybe things are, they're, they're pretty good. So I don't really need a Jesus right now. Or, and oftentimes Jesus is in our midst and we don't even know he's here. Jesus is right in front of our face and we turn our backs on him uh, or we just kind of ignore him and go along. But here we find a man who is purposefully calling out. Now, there could have been so many other people in Capernaum. There could have been so many other things that were happening there. Maybe maybe there were other people that, sick, that were sick, but the thing is we don't read of anyone else calling out to Jesus except this centurion. So, They, the Jews, on his behalf, the centurion's behalf, are pleading to Jesus that Jesus would do something. So who was this centurion then? I I think a little bit of help will be uh, given to us if we think about who 
a normal centurion would be or, or what he was like, what the uh, Roman Empire thought, what the people thought, all of that. So although uh, the centurions are presented positively in the New Testament here, and there's another place in Acts and a few other places in Jesus' crucifixion, you know, surely this is the Son of God, I think one of them said. Um, contemporary scholarship makes it clear that most centurions were disliked by the ordinary people. Uh, they regarded the centurions as cruel, as violent, as self-serving. They didn't really think too highly of the centurions, the the normal people, the normal folks. So, um, however, this is what a centurion was. He was a, a man of higher rank than the normal soldiers, and he was in charge of a group called the Centuria, which was a group of 100 soldiers. And then I think it dwindled over the course and they only had 80, but it was supposed to be 100 soldiers that these centurions were in charge of. And one of their main jobs, obviously, is to lead these men, but to discipline them. And there was one of them who they, he had got such a bad reputation because he had a staff that was supposed to make him stand out above the rest of the uh, soldiers in the army. And he used the staff and would break it on the backs of the soldiers. And he would say, give me another one, give me another one. And he'd just keep breaking them on their backs because they were known as strong disciplinarians to their soldiers. This guy was a little over the top. Uh, mutiny happened and they ended up killing this centurion man. But that was somewhat of the picture of these guys. So not only were they serving as commanders, centurions also engaged in combat and they were tremendously respected for their bravery, for their valor, and their leadership. They were heroes uh, to the Roman pe people and key figures in one of the most successful militaries of all time, being the Roman military. And the centurions were kind of the role model of their unit that they were in charge over. They were expected to stay strong and to be dedicated in the hardest and most impossible of circumstances. So here we find a man of this caliber, part of the Roman army, tough man, uh, no doubt had been through a lot of things. And by the way, those centurions, they, were, they didn't just order their soldiers to go out and take care of the job. They were some of the first out in the, in the actual battlefield. They were some of the first people out there slashing swords and whatever. So they fought side by side with these men and oftentimes led the charge right into a battle. These were pretty weathered and hard men. However, these Jewish elders, in spite of all of that, in spite of cultural understanding, in spite of whatever the Jewish belief would be, uh, and some of the Jewish rancor towards the Roman uh, Empire itself, these Jews in Capernaum thought that this centurion man was a worthy man. And he appeared to have a kindness that was different than most Roman soldiers. Uh, we're told that the Jews said to Jesus, he loves our nation. He loves the nation of Israel. In fact, he built a synagogue for us here in Capernaum. Now, I know that the, the centurions, they had a pretty decent pay grade compared to other soldiers and other people within the uh, culture at that time. They had a pretty decent amount of pay. So it's very possible that this centurion even helped to fund the building of this synagogue because he had some sort of sympathy toward God, toward towards truth. And you know, um, we're told that in, in Roman culture, they, they had no shortage of different gods. We think of Greek mythology and all. That was all kind of mixed up in their culture. And yet this one, this centurion, seems to have a fear towards the true God. And if you look at other places in scripture, there's a phrase that says, those that feared God, 
uh, that were in the temple or in the synagogues at times. They were literally people that were not Jews that feared God that would go to the synagogue and hear uh, and, and hear the word of God preached. So here, perhaps this centurion was one of those people and he had sympathy towards the things of God and built a synagogue. And, you know, the funny thing is, is they're telling Jesus, he loves our nation and he built us a synagogue. And, you know, I think it's part of the human condition where we think that we have to commend ourselves to God by some kind of inherent worthiness. Like, Lord, I did this, I did this, I, I haven't done this or whatever, so please do this for me. And ultimately, God doesn't really care about those things because if we were to just bring it, break it down to bare bones, none of us, none of us is worthy uh, of any sort of mercy or help from God, but it's in God's character to give it to us. So they tell, you know, Jesus, he's a worthy guy, he's a worthy guy, and Jesus agrees to go with the Jewish elders to heal this man's servant. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So we've got some of the setting. We see what's happened. We see who this centurion guy is. Now we're coming to the place of the encounter with Jesus. That's the series we're going through, Encounters with Christ. The thing that's so strikingly different about this, and you have probably noticed it, is that the centurion, uh, after we've read through those synthesized accounts, never actually talked with Jesus face to face. That centurion had an encounter with Christ solely uh, or vicariously through friends and through the Jewish elders, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we're told in the scripture account that his friends came out and told Jesus not to trouble himself because the centurion, he didn't think he was worthy for Jesus to come into his house. Remember the Jews said, he loves our nation. He built us a temple. And he says, I'm not even worthy for this, this man to come inside of my house. And I wonder what was going on inside of the centurion's heart. I think it's possible that he was thinking that he was so unworthy uh, mainly because he was a Roman and Jesus was a Jewish man. And so maybe that's why he asked the Jewish elders to speak to Jesus and, and he didn't go along. I wonder if, if he felt that Jesus might have the same um, sentiment against the Romans as most of the other Jews did. And so he's, he's like in, in the most humiliating way, trying to gain help from this man who he's, whom he's heard so much about and just sending the Jews off to do this because he feels himself... I'm really not worthy to ask this, or I'm not even, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. That's quite a statement. I wonder if the centurion guy really had, had been going to synagogues and stuff long enough that he had heard about this coming Messiah. And I wonder if he really believed this was that coming Messiah. He was God in the flesh. I wonder if that was going through his mind. and He feels like I'm not worthy for you to even come inside my house. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy. I don't know, but you know, sometimes we feel that way when, when God comes near, 
But you know what's so crazy about that? God comes near, and with his nearness comes, well, I mean, I guess if you're in, in terrible sin, uh, conviction, and you, you, know, you find that it's not always the most pleasant of experience, but even in that, when God comes near, there's something of hope. There's something of peace. There's something there. And regardless of whether or not we feel worthy, we feel somebody who is for our highest good near us. Even if we're in the most atrocious sins, he is for our highest good. He wants to help us. He wants to save us. And he doesn't think he's worthy. And notice the centurion, he doesn't appeal to signs and wonders, but he appeals to Christ's authority. The questions that he would have to answer are, was Jesus even capable of healing somebody? Like, what authority does he have to do this? Does he even have the right and authority to do this at all? Where did it come from? Can he really command these things to happen? Now he's heard the testimonies of it, but so he he must have been impressed with the authority that Christ had. And you know, it makes sense uh, because he's a military man. And the military man would have thought about hierarchy and authority and all this kind of thing. So naturally looking at Jesus, he's thinking the same way his, his normal everyday life thinking would be. And it never ceases to amaze me all the different types of people whom Jesus ministered to. You know, we can, we can kind of just think that, well, there's certain caricatures of people that, that God would help or that Jesus would minister to. But then, you know, comes along a person like the centurion, gives his life to Christ, and he's so out of the ordinary. I mean, I even think about it. I think the guy's name is Chuck Colson. He was part of the Watergate scandal. He gets caught, gets put in prison. He becomes a Christian and then becomes a huge proponent for Christianity and writes many books. Seems like some almost unlikely figures come to Christ, and yet Jesus doesn't turn any of them away. You know, it's amazing here too because it might appear cowardly, you know, to the centurion uh, and not really so macho for him to be pleading with a poor Jewish carpenter because ultimately that's the despising look that Jesus has had laid on him for many different people, especially the religious leaders. So now here's this powerful centurion going to this poor Jewish carpenter and asking him to do something miraculous. And that's that's vastly different in this centurion right here because most of this, the Romans despise the Jews and the Jews despise the Romans. So the centurion believed in the authority of Christ that one spoken word was enough for him. And he related to Christ in this military sense. So he may have had these thoughts in his mind. And now I think it's almost, it comes right out that that is what's going on because listen, here's what he says. He must have believed that Jesus had command, had command over sickness and other things, believing that Christ was in some kind of a high rank in, in God's hierarchy, in God's army. And he says to Jesus, um, I tell my soldiers, well, first of all, I'm set under authority, so I've got to answer to somebody. But then I've got people under me that have to answer to me. And I tell my soldiers what to do, and they do it. And I believe that when you say something, it gets done. That's essentially what he's saying to Christ. I believe that when you say something, it gets done. And so he appeals to Jesus like that. That's the encounter the centurion has. 
doesn't even, doesn't even see Jesus face to face. But then comes the teaching opportunity here. A crowd had been following Jesus, and that's really not an uncommon occurrence. We see crowds following Jesus throughout the entire Gospels. And the miracles of Jesus often drew crowds, and a lot of them came just for entertainment factor. But he turns around to the crowds, and he says that the centurion has more faith than anyone else in all of Israel. That's quite a sting. That's more than the religious leaders. That's more than just the common Jews that would have been expecting this Messiah. The despised, oppressive Roman centurion had the most faith. And this is helpful to us in these days. God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your name, your title is. Doesn't matter how much head knowledge you have. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter if you're despised by society or loved by society. God often uses the things that we think are quite unlikely or sometimes even the things that we hate to teach us a powerful lesson. And he did it with the centurion. Out of all Israel, a Roman centurion is the one that exercises such great faith. Is that you, listener? It's not about all the the flash, bang, boom, and all the bells and whistles. It's about who do you think Jesus is? And based on who you think Jesus is, what do you expect him to do? What do you ask of him? What faith do you have in him? Jesus said, there's going to be a whole lot of people coming from the East and West. Now he's talking amongst a bunch of Jewish people that thought that they had a right to the Messiah. And no doubt there was Jewish leaders there, uh, religious leaders. There always was. I say always was. Generally there was when there was crowds. He says, there's going to be a lot of people coming from the East and from the West. There's going to be, it seems like he's talking about Gentiles, Samaritans, maybe even some of these lowly Jews that the religious people didn't think much of. But then he said, but the sons of the kingdom, that would be the religious leader, the Jews by birth, the people that thought they had the right to this kingdom. They're going to be thrown into outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, they're going to be in hell. They're going to miss it. It's going to be these people. It's going to be the centurions. It's going to be the oppressive Romans. It's going to be the pagans. It's going to be the the Samaritans, the dirty half Jews. This is what these people thought. And Jesus is telling them it's going to be those people. Those are going to be the one that sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're going to be left out of the kingdom. You're going to be thrown into outer darkness. That, That would be something, that would be a high insult. And they would hate to hear that. And yet Jesus was no respecter of person. When he saw faith, he, he, knew what, he knew when he saw faith, he commended it because he was trying to stir the other people up that they too would have faith. And may God help for each one of us to have faith, not faith in feelings, not faith in miracles and signs, but faith in the person of Jesus Christ, faith in God, according to the scripture. The result of this faith encounter is Jesus said, go let it be done for you as you have believed. So according to your faith, be it unto you is the King James Version. And we're told that the servant was healed at the moment, the very moment of belief, the servant was healed. So dear listener, do you find yourself in this situation? Maybe you're the least likely person to ever ask a favor of God, you're the least likely person 
that people would think of that would get anything from God whatsoever. And yet you can look at the things that God says inside the Bible and you could say, well, if anyone's going to be able to do something, it's going to be God. It's going to be Christ. And if this, if this is the true Bible, then this, these things must be so. God's going to do such and such and such because he said it. Is that you? I would challenge you, dear listener. Break out of all the paradigms. Break out of the mold that society would place on you to say this is who you are and this is the box you fit in and reach out and grab hold of Jesus Christ. No matter all the odds in society that may be against you, reach out and grab a hold of Jesus Christ. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me. I want to set up a time to meet with you so I can coach you and help you further uh, in your walk with God. I want you to go to our social media accounts, Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, YouTube. Make sure to like and follow us. Turn on notifications. You're going to get more teaching and preaching to help you on your journey. And then you'll be able to connect with others that are going on the same journey. And then I want you to tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And then tell them about our social media accounts. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.